Hello again, thank you for joining me today here on Bible Studies with Russ. We are continuing our study in the book of Revelation today, picking up in Revelation chapter 4. And as we begin chapter 4, we have concluded, if you remember last week, looking at uh, the seven churches of Asia. And so now we're getting into a lot of uh, apocalyptic uh, literature here. And this kind of literature is not always chronological. It's not always uh, in the order in which it was actually taking place. Uh, everything should not be expected to follow in sequence. Uh, also, we find in chapter 4 that one passes uh, into another part of uh, Revelation here. We find that God is seated on the throne in Revelation chapter 4. And so there's a big switch from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Uh, God is pictured as no doubt omnipotent and while Domitian is not and that would be correct uh, the Roman Emperor can reign over the Roman Empire but God rules overall from all time from beginning to end and eternally and so these are things to keep in mind and things we're going to be reminded of as we get into Revelation chapter 4 and so we'll begin in Revelation chapter 4 beginning here in verse 1 here the Bible says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So after these things I looked up, indicates this is the events taking place after uh, the events of chapters 1 through 3. We have here a door standing open in heaven. He could look through and see the heavenly scene and the court. This door is the door of revelation that stood open and ready for John to enter. We also find here the phrase uh, was like a trumpet, uh, a loud, clear voice, the voice of Christ. And we find next the phrase, come up here and I'll show you things. So he is to join the messenger where he was, uh, where he was so that he could, or so that he would show him things that were soon to come. He says here in verse, verse 1, I will show you things which must take place after this. Uh, we must remember, as we saw back in chapter 1, that the events of Revelation would take place very soon. Uh, as we look at it today, they have already taken place. Everything has taken place, with the exception of Christ coming back uh, uh, to, for the judgment and for all to be uh, the faithful to be the all to be judged and the faithful going to heaven uh, while those who are found to be unfaithful do not um, and so as we mentioned already and, and when you as you look in revelation chapter 4 verse 3, it's important and if you to it might be a good idea as a reminder also to go back and listen to the first uh, first bible study on the revelation that we did here because we talked a lot about how uh, how these things were to shortly come to pass. These are not things that are to be done in the distant future. Uh, later, there are some references to uh, the end of time, which is really the judgment day, and the events would they would transpire around that. Uh, but and we're I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But there, the ninety five percent I would say of Revelation has already taken place uh, because it centers around the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, so verse 1 uh, tells us these things are happening after the events of chapters 1 through 3. Uh, he's looking into heaven. He could see the scene. He could see the heavenly scene. He could see the court. Uh, the voice was clear. The voice of Christ was like a trumpet uh, saying, Come up here and I will show you things. So he's to join the messenger where he was so that he would show him things soon to come. 
uh, verse 2 says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, and behold a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. I was in the Spirit is under the Spirit's power or influence. The same, same thing we find back in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. So he's under the Spirit's power or influence. He says, I, uh, he says a throne set in heaven. A throne is found 19 times in this book. Uh, and one set on the throne refers to God's reigning power and dominion over the kingdom. God is on the throne and he dominates the whole scene. In chapter 4, there's a lot of things I really enjoy about Revelation, but chapter 4 is one I enjoy very much because it really, uh, in a very uh, figurative way, in a very um, figurative, a lot of figurative language, to describe the events going on here in heaven and and who's there and and things are taking place. It's very interesting, to say the least, not like the rest of Revelation or the other books of the Bible, obviously, but it's very, very interesting to things. they are being discussed and how much different they are from what we've seen in previous books of the Bible. Uh, so verse three says, and he who sat there was like a Jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, again, you have to remember that there are a lot of physical things being used to describe the beauty of the scene. Uh, so this is a symbol of his splendor or his divine majesty and royalty there in verse 3. God is depicted as using uh, uh, depicted using stone because his appearance can be put into words. Uh, the rainbow describes his splendor of the, of the place and his faithfulness. The rainbow represented promise in the Old Testament, if you remember back in the times of Noah. Uh, but it's, it's constantly stood for the promises of God. Uh, we know there are those days he used rainbow for an entirely different reason. And uh, what a silly thing to pick. A rainbow that was first used after the destruction of the world because everybody was so exceedingly wicked. That's the first time you see the rainbow after that. So you pick a symbol that takes place after a massive destructive scene. Okay. Uh, but, you know, that's not that's not what it stood for in the Bible. It was a promise. It was a, it was a reminder of God's promises and the promises made. And, you know, we, we, hear, we hear people say sometimes, especially politicians, and I think I've heard more than one say this, promises made, promises kept, right? Well, God's the first one who could actually say that and actually be honest and truthful. Every promise God has made, God has kept it. And the rainbow is a reminder of God's promises. Uh, verse 4 says here, Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And so again, images and 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 things being used to show uh, the beauty of the scene. Now we saw back in verse 3, uh, the rainbow, the rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald, the brightness, the clarity, the beauty. Uh, any stone that you consider, if its clarity is good, it's going to increase its value, right? Uh, and it makes it make it that much more uh, precious and worth that much more. And so the beauty in verse three is, is, that's used there to describe the scene that's there in, in, in heaven, that beautiful scene, the, the power, the prom- the reminder of promise, and who who it is who's there. And then in verse four, you have the throne where twenty-four. You have a throne where you have around the throne, where twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white. Now white is used as a way to to show purity, and to show uh, 
will show purity and cleanness and righteousness. And so if they're clothed in white, it should show their purity and their and their righteousness. And they are surrounding the throne. So it's not just any elder. It's elders who are clothed in white, meaning, meaning they are worthy to be there. Uh, and they had crowns on their heads. Uh, many believe, and I think rightfully so, that these represent the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. So a full representation of God's people. The number 24 represents all of God's people under uh, covenant. Involved also in the representation of the, of the worship and service of God's people. On their heads, crowns of gold represent victory. Crowns are always representing victory in most cases. Sometimes they're used in a mocking way, like with Christ wearing a crown of thorns on the cross, thus mocking him. But here their crowns uh, of the crowns on their head are made of gold there in verse 4. Verse 5 says here, and From the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are like this, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, so the lightnings and thunderings and voices describe the authoritative voice and the judgment of God. He speaks with power. He speaks with authority. Loud. You know, someone speaks and they start speaking loud. And they take on sometimes a, a, you know, sometimes people are trying to be serious. They take on a more authoritative tone. They get real serious and real stern. That's the idea we find here. That from the throne we're seeing lightnings and thunderings and voices. It's the voice of God, that authoritative power. Uh, the seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit and all its power and abilities together. Seven is all, is, has many times represented perfection. Well, the seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, uh, representing the Holy Spirit, as many as many believe that. I'm sure there's other ideas around that. Um, I'm not familiar with what the other ones are. But uh, the Holy Spirit seems to be the one that fits here uh the best in my judgment anyway looking next at verse 6 before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne around the throne there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back so the sea of glass represents purity and peace purity because the sea of glass he says here is uh, a sea of glass like crystal if it's crystal it means it's you know you can see through high quality crystal you can see right through it you know uh if someone brings out the fire you know brings out crystal in and in, in, was it stemware uh or glassware whatever is used when that crystal in, in a dining room it's it's really it's fine it, it is of high quality you're very careful with it you know hear people say sometimes bring out the good you know bring out the crystal or the crystal if they're having guests or some big event or something uh, not that i've ever been to one of those but in movies anyway <laughs> this crystal is clear and we find here the sea of glass was like that it's clear but also it's it's calm because that glass indicates stillness it means the water's not moving nothing is disturbing it there's peace there and so that that sea before the throne there was peace there was purity there was nothing defiling and nothing that was defiled nothing that was corrupt nothing that was creating chaos. No, it's complete calm and complete purity before the throne. And in the midst of the throne, he says there in verse 6, and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back, which, again, we got to remember, 
figurative language. What are these things symbolizing? Are there are these living creatures really having eyes all around them? Uh, the four creatures represent an order of the heavenly court. Full of eyes simply means they, they observe God's majestic creation day and night, and they see see everything. Uh, the the uh, he says there in verse six, uh, full of eyes in front and back, which means they're 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 seeing everything. They're taking everything in, and they are before the thrones. They're seeing everything that's going on, and these four living creatures again uh, represent an order of uh, represent the order and order of the heavenly court. Uh, verse 7 says here, the first living creature was like a lion. So, it, again, some of these, you know, when you read these, these verses, we don't want to stop and say, well, what are living creatures? You have to keep going to see these things. And so, when we, you know, we see, see in verse 7, these things start to be explained what those living creatures are. Uh, verse 7 says, the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The lion represents the beast of the forest. A calf seems to represent the, dis- the domesticated beast of the field. The face of a man represents all mankind. And flying, the flying eagle, rep- flying eagle represents the inhabitants of the sky above. These represent all creation which has been created in God's glory and who praise the glory of God. As we're going to see next in verse 7. Uh, they're they're they are saying holy 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 in verse in verse eight rather, and so you have the living creatures representing creation there in verse six verse seven goes in detail revealing it is indeed creation the beast of the field the domesticated beast of the field, the mankind and then the inhabitants of the sky above, uh, which makes us you go back to creation account, you have the beast of the field the beast you know the 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 birds of the air. Uh, those types of things representing various categories of animals. And here we find the same idea here in verse 7 um, in a more broad sense by the beast of the field, the forest, the, the domesticated beast of the field, all mankind, and then the heavens of the sky representing all creation. Then we find in verse 8 uh, what they are doing. Uh, verse 8 says here, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. And within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Interesting picture uh, painted here in verse 8. The six wings seem to indicate swiftness, their ability to move quickly. Full of eyes shows their sleepless vigilance and their worship and declarations of, God, of, of glory being given to God, which means... They are singing praises and giving praise to God and honor to God constantly. The eyes within and without, they're not, they're not sleeping. They are constantly giving praise to God. You think about heaven and all that it is. Does, I'm not saying mankind will not rest in heaven phys- uh, in, in whatever sense <laughs> we are there. can't say physically it's a spiritual place. But is rest actually going to be required? In verse 8, it seems, it seems almost to imply that that rest isn't going to be required because we're not going to be in physical bodies anymore, are we? And so these beasts, that's something to chew on there. But verse 8 says here, uh, they do not rest day or night, right? Verse 8, saying, and what are they doing? They're giving honor and praise and glory to God, and rightfully so, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come, and is to come, verse uh, verse 8 there. Uh, 
They partake of the nature of the all-seeing eye of God. They never stop. Words are found to be similar to the songs we sing today, Holy, Holy, Holy. Uh, there in verse 9 says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives uh, forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who, sit, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. A beautiful scene before before the throne. And so you think about as you take all this in, what's happening? He is seeing a he's seeing the throne room of God and it's being described as being beautiful and the throne being beautiful. All creation is around. The elders representing the, the twelve patriarchs of the old testament, the apostles of the, of the New Testament age, all around there, and all creation is doing what they all those who are there are praising God. God. We see it in verse 8, and we see it again in verse 10. They, he who sits, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, which is God, and worship him who lives forever and ever. Again, God. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, which they are doing to him. They are giving him uh, glory, honor, and he has power, and they are under his authority, under his power. They have power over, over he has power over them, rather. For he created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And so the 24 elders worship God. He is worthy of such worship. Crowns, a casting of the crowns before God's throne shows submission and the desire to worship and praise him. Worthy? Well, God is due this praise. God created all things, indicates a summary picture of the, of, whole, of the whole creation. Creation exists for God's pleasure, and they exist through his will. We think about the song many times, Worthy Art Thou, and how true it is. Okay, we're going to try to look at chapter 5, at least a portion of it. Um, that concludes chapter 4, uh, 11 verses there, but, you know, again, if, if you want to look at a, a section of scripture that's all about giving praise to God in heaven and worshiping him, chapter 4 is a good place to go. Because literally all creation is pictured as giving praise to God. Now in chapter 5, we begin looking at uh, the scroll. And you have, if you remember, when we start looking at the scroll, you have the first seal, like we'll see later in chapter 6. You have the second, third, fourth, and uh, fifth seal, the sixth seal. And then uh, the seal of Israel mentioned later in chapter uh, chapter 7. And so you have uh, more things taking place in, in as we get more into Revelation, you start seeing things start moving a little more quickly. and More things start happening uh, in this vision that's being given here uh, to John. So looking at chapter 5, and again, we're going to just see how far we get. we got a little less than 10 minutes here left for our time. But Revelation chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 3. Says, and I saw in the, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So we're still there in the throne room. We, we haven't left that there in verse chapter four. We're still in the throne room that we went into in chapter four. Uh, a scroll written inside and, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And so, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, which is God, uh, it, he is holding a seat. He is holding a scroll, and it's written on both sides, and it has seven seals on that scroll. Um. 
And so that there's the, the image we have painted there for us there in verse 1. We're going to come back and look at all this here in a second. We're going to look at 1 through 3 together. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so we find here um, a common practice of Roman government was to seal any important document with the insignia of the government. Sealing with the seven seals is, uh, indicates the sacredness of what they, what they contained and ensured perfect security. The scroll is unusual as it is written on both sides. Only divine power can open the scroll and make its contents known. Since the strong and mighty angel we see there in verse 2, the strong angel uh, asked who could open, open the book or open the scroll, it's clear even angels could not open it. No one was found in heaven, in heaven, earth, or under the earth that could open the seals, which means someone else is going to have to open it, right? Verse 4 says, so, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. He's talking about Christ. So John wept because no one was found to open the, open the scroll. The noblest, of the, of the, of the, the noblest son of the tribe was called the Lion of Judah, Genesis 49, verse 9. The Messiah, Jesus, came of the root or the line of David, Isaiah 11, verse 1. Only Christ is able to open the seals. He prevailed means Christ has overcome all the obstacles on earth. He was, was to lose or open the information of the scrolls here in verses 4 and 5. Looking at verse 6 and 7. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Twenty-nine times in twelve chapters, Christ is called the Lamb. Twenty-nine times in twelve chapters, Christ is called the Lamb. Lion and Lamb signify conqueror and sacrifice. Seven horns represent strength and power, and the seven eyes symbolize the fullness of his vision. Christ can now reveal the present and the future and make known God's purposes on earth for his people. That being said, notice what he says here in verse 6. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. As though it had been slain. Dead, but now alive again. Indicating what? Christ. Remember, we understand that's a reference to his death on the cross. He, he had been, uh, stood as though it had been slain, but he was alive. Uh, again, representing, representing Christ there. So remember, the seven horns represent strength and the power, strength and power, and the seven eyes symbolize the fullness of his vision. And now Christ can reveal the present and the future and make known God's purposes on earth for his people. Looking at chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 5 and verse 8, uh, this next section introduces three great songs. Uh, looking at verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and, a, and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
So this, uh, these express the praise of all the heavenly creatures because God's redeeming purpose has been made known through Christ. The 24 elders and creatures sing this song first. A harp and golden bowls of incense are figurative, as is shown by saying the incense represents the prayers of the saints. Harps represent the joyful singing and praise being given to God in Christ. Notice throughout the book where praise is given, no instruments are mentioned except here and in chapter 15, verse 2, with, with other figurative language. These symbols in no way authorize the use of incense or instruments of music. Both of these were not introduced into worship until centuries later. Saints, the prayers, could be from individuals or the churches or both here in verse 8. And so again, figurative language, figurative language, but yet we are told by some we should believe that the harps are literal. Really? Most everything else hasn't been literal. It is not literal. It's simply representing the praise being given to God. And the bowls of incense are presenting prayers. And some would argue, well, it doesn't say that about the harp. Does it really have to? It doesn't say that. I mean, he doesn't tell us that the seven horns and seven eyes represent the strength and the vision of, of the Lamb. But we understand as we look at it and look how seven is used and look at how eyes are used and the horns are used in various other places throughout the Bible and in, throughout history. We understand it represents power and vision. And the harp represents praise give, being given to God. Nowhere do we find authority for the mechanical instruments of music and worship today from this verse. Looking at verses 9 through 11, we're going to look at this section here, verses 9 through 11, and then we're going to stop here uh, today. Uh, verses, verses 9 through 11 says here, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. So new, new here in verse nine means something new or quality, new in quality, different from anything that it has ever been. The emphasis of this song is Christ's great sacrifice and death by which man is redeemed. The power of his redeeming blood has, been, has made the, the redeemed a kingdom and priest to God. Through Jesus we reign upon the earth. This is not political sovereignty. It is not a millennial reign on earth because he, had, because he has triumphed, and they shall also live triumphantly, have redeemed and have made us kings, past tense. But it refers to a spiritual ruling they share with Jesus. Let's go ahead and look at verses 12 and 13. This will bring us to the end of chapter 5. Um, wasn't sure how long we'd have. Verse 12 says here, Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such are, such are, such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Verses 12 through 14. So the words of this song come from the angels. Jesus deserves to receive such praise because of the redemption he has provided. 
The whole creation joins in to sing the song. In conclusion, in one sense, this chapter is a commentary of chapter 1 and verse 1. It has shown us the worthiness and authority of the slain lamb to make this revelation. It is no accident that only Christ is worthy to open the scroll. Okay, we're going to stop there today. When we come back next time, we'll pick up in Revelation chapter 5. I hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. I hope it has been encouraging to you. If you have any comments or questions, you can always contact us through our website, BibleWayMedia.org. Or you can, if, you're in, if you're on Facebook, you can join our Facebook group, Bible Studies the Russ, and leave a comment there. I'll be glad to answer any questions or concerns you may have. As always, I do thank you for listening. and hope to see you again next time.